You're listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hey, Mickey. Oh my gosh, Mickey, you've got like a hand. Are you the arm and hammer guy? You got a glove. You got a, an old-fashioned kind of anvil type you, hammer. You obviously haven't been following the Ukraine news, Bob. Actually, I paid a little of attention. <laughs> Russians are Googling how to break your arm to get out of military service. Ah. And I Googled it and it's very unhelpful. It doesn't actually tell you how to break your arm. I mean, this best, is why this is why they're losing the war, Mickey. Is the best just... the best I could think of was to take this big fucking hammer that I found in the garden and smash my arm. But try it. I don't think I would try it. But uh, the second best thing is to st- be skateboarders because if you're a skateboarder, you will eventually break your arm. That's what you you so, should tell them. <laughs> um, but uh, I I thought it would be trivializing the war for me to actually show a skateboard. So. Or make, you know, turn it into any form of levity at all. You would never do that. You'd never try to do that. No. Um, so my take on this uh, Putin speech is that there's less than meets the eye. But what do you say? No, I don't think so. I think he's crossed the Rubicon. But go ahead and give me your... Oh, well, my... I, mean, I also he's... think it's been obvious that he, he he probably would cross the Rubicon. So in that sense, it's not big news. But go well, ahead. He's done, he's done the nuclear threat before as uh, uh, Friedman, the uh, British war strategist, suggested. And that uh, guy is a this... real hawk. I hadn't realized, but he is. Anyway, really? go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't. He didn't. Um, the, the nuclear threat really wasn't all that new. It's previously been been deployed to basically. Warn NATO to back off. Don't you know? Don't don't intervene. Don't send this weapon or that weapon. And 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 the you know this conscription thing is just like a stalemate machine. It's uh you know he's uh, he's there was actually a a, a a note from the Institute for the Study of War, your favorite organization, saying that he actually might, if you read the fine print, he might call up a million people. But um, uh, not three hundred thousand. But um, you know, uh, it's not going to change the outcome of the war. It's just going to keep it going, and it's pissing off his people. So that's a good thing. Okay. But it's not the the Rubicon will be a general mobilization, right? Well, but this is this is the camel's nose under the tent. I mean, this is the big walking through the door. Before before this. No one was going to the war who had not voluntarily joined the army. Now they're ta- rounding people up saying you, you've got two weeks of training and then you're going into the war. Okay. Because- I, thought you, I thought you had to be a reserve. You have to have had some military uh, background. Basically everyone in Russia has some military background, as I understand it, because I think, uh, I think it's universal conscription. So, so it's like you have to have uh, like, you know, um, I even our friend Nikita, uh, who, you know, uh, is in Russia at the moment. And I emailed him. I don't think he's been um, actually I don't think he's he's served in the army, but he's got some kind of military card that he said technically he's vulnerable. Um, And, you know, so I think uh, it's no, they're, they're not. All a bunch of people who, first of all, certainly don't want to be in the army now and may never have wanted to be in the army are, in fact, 
I think, vulnerable to this uh, mandatory service in a war. And that's new. And that's new with this war. Are there ways to resist it if you don't without leaving the country? Um, like, like take a long drive into one of those vast, unpopulated areas? <laughs> I, I've heard of people trying that. But, you know, that, that's I mean, look, that whole issue. One of the interesting things about this is certainly can Putin sustain mobilization politically? This is the first big test. And bear in mind that what you're going to see through Western media is all the signs that he can't withstand it. And, right. and there certainly are, you know, there, there is real footage of people rushing to the border. There's all that. There are demonstrations, people getting arrested for demonstrations. But I personally think that, you know, you got to remember, this is an authoritarian autocracy. So long as he maintains the allegiance of the military, the police, kind of the establishment, you know, enough elites. Uh, there's a lot of rebellion he can put down and will be willing to put down if, if he feels like it. So I just, uh, I would be surprised if this looked unsustainable. At the same time, I, I would say you can tell he's concerned because of uh, they're kind of fine-tuning it on the fly. One thing uh, Nikita told me was that alarmingly at first, there was a guy with exactly Nikita's status, okay? Like Nikita, he had worked in the IT uh, space, and he had the same card Nikita has. The guy did get drafted. The guy did a uh, a video about about how outraged he was. The video went viral, which things can still do in in Russia. I assume this was on Telegram, which is one big, still open social media channel. But anyway, as I understand it, they rescinded his order and and made a big announcement, perhaps relatedly, uh, people in the IT sector right now are exempt because we need them in the industry. So anyway, the point is there was some kind of response to this guy. So, you know, they are, they are concerned at the same time. What this shows you is that they're willing to calibrate it in a way that minimizes what well, they it, see as the political damage. Nikita can take care of it when he's, when he's not dodging the draft in Russia. Uh, but um, uh, is the, it's weird. It's, it seems to me, the obvious dynamic would be similar to the Vietnam War, where they didn't want to draft the people who hated the war. So they came up with this ridiculous uh, score high or die regime where they gave everybody a sort of an SAT test. If you scored high on the SAT test, you were exempt. I think this only lasted for a year because it was so offensive. But clearly they didn't want to draft a whole bunch of long-haired hippie college students who were just going to cause trouble for them. Uh, and I would think Russia would be the same, except the Institute for the Study of War reported that they were actually drafting protesters, which seemed like a recipe for defeat. Oh, no, I think it's a recipe for ending protests. Uh, I mean, well, it's both, that, actually. Yeah, but if they can do the first, then you know, they, <laughs> they have a lot fewer concerns. Yeah. I think that's what I, th I think they actually are doing that. I've seen credible reports, and I think that's a good way to uh, to slow down those protests. Uh, I guess. Um, anyway, it, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's going to change the outcome of the war. So the question is still what happens with the war? And, and you know, I got into this, uh, I thought, it, this weird, uh, to call it a Twitter exchange is, 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 would be overstating it. But, uh, you know, Ann Applebaum wrote another piece saying, you know, Putin's, Putin, the regime may crack. We don't, you know, 
Uh, and and I said, well, why why do you think something better is going to take its place? It's sort of an obvious question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wrote back saying, uh, uh, I should read it uh, before I... Uh, Such a strange question. Sounds like you think I have some influence over that outcome. No, but it's, I don't think it sounds like that. I think it sounds like you're asking exactly the question she needs to entertain very seriously before she starts pushing for regime change. And I, I just went back and looked at some of her articles, and one was called Ukraine Must Win, and, and argued against, uh, she argued against offering Putin a face-saving compromise right. because a, a true defeat could force the reckoning that should have happened in the 1990s. Well, so she's advocating something that's going to lead possibly to the collapse of the regime. So it seems to me she's got to consider whether that'll be a good thing or a bad thing mm-hmm. before she advocates it. Well, she's got to also entertain what might happen in between now and the collapse of the regime. What kinds of things might Putin try to avoid losing the war? Let me let me like back up. So your view is one view. Uh, and, and in fact, it's held by one of the most noted authorities on the Russian military, Michael Kaufman. Who What's is, my view? Who is much quoted these days. That it will prolong the war, but won't change the outcome. Right. Okay. So, and and the argument for that is, uh, first of all, Kaufman says they don't. Russia doesn't have a, a machinery for a big mass mobilization. Okay. The uh, you know, it, it it's not structured that way. And he's a real expert on this exact aspect of things. Um. Secondly, uh, you know, they they. But part of the infrastructure they lack, they particularly lack now because that is like the trainers. Who's going to train them? All the people who would be good at that, like capable officers, have have been sent to Ukraine. Many of them have died. And so he's saying, like, just just finding people to do a good job of training uh, conscripts is going to be hard. There's the morale question, you know, how enthusiastic are these guys going to be? So that's these are some of the arguments that it doesn't matter. Now, here are some of the arguments that this uh, is a big deal. For starters, it will allow Putin, I think, to stop the bleeding in terms of losses on the battlefield probably pretty quickly. The logic here is twofold. Um, first of all, remember, one of the problems they've had is just is, is lack of manpower. Where Their big loss in Kharkiv uh, came where they just didn't even have actual Russian soldiers in place in any kind of quantity. They had these uh, Luhansk conscripts co- uh, combined with these kind of Russian quasi-police, and they had a low density of those. So, so one thing they need is just guys to sit in trenches and shoot at stuff that moves. You know, right. they don't they don't need these people who are skilled at offensive warfare. Job one is to fill those gaps. This should do that pretty quickly because first of all, now they can do stop loss orders, which means they can say to people whose tenure was about to expire, "Sorry." You know, you didn't read the fine print. And and by the way, that includes these people who were paid uh, a lot of, um, you know, were getting good salaries to serve just four, six, eight months. This is something Russia implemented near the beginning of the war, and they realized they had a manpower problem. It's like, come come to Ukraine for six months, make a ton of money, then you can leave. Well, turns out now they can tell them they can't leave. That'll keep the trenches filled. The other thing is, as I said, they're just giving these guys two weeks training, and then they can send them into a trench. So. In fairly short order, this should the Russians should get better just holding the lines. And there was a there was a good uh, analysis in the Washington Post by a political scientist. I forget her name, but she pointed out that 
you know, this is in one sense reassuring because if you ask, notwithstanding whatever Putin said in the nuclear saber rattling, if you ask what could actually make him use a nuclear weapon, it's the collapse of the war effort. And, and that is now less likely by virtue of even this part of mobilization where they muster some half-assed soldiers and stick them in trenches, okay? Well, so they... Well, well, so, but that that doesn't argue against the idea that it's it just prolongs the stalemate. If they're sitting in right. trenches, not advancing, then that is stalemate. Right. We're getting there. The, the second, the second <laughs> okay. thing is, so, so this gives them. I got it all day, Bob. Good. Uh, I'm very interested in this subject. So, uh, this gives them, um, you know, the fall, fall and winter. I believe are going to be times when it's not going to be that easy for big offensive advances in either direction anyway. The fall, apparently, the ground gets muddy again, so using off-road vehicles gets hard the way it was in spring, and then you get the winter. And it's not like an Afghan winter where they just suspend the war for the whole winter, but it puts a damper on things. So you combine that with the effects of the short-term effects of mobilization, and you've you know probably got Putin more or less holding the battle lines, at least something less than a com complete collapse. Meanwhile, they're getting the machinery of mobilization up and running and testing the political waters. And if it turns out mobilization is politically sustainable and you give them these five or six months, I, I would assume that they can start uh, feeding significant numbers of reasonably well-trained soldiers in there this doesn't have to be the last mobilization. And in principle, Russia has a huge, huge manpower advantage. So if he can sustain this politically, okay, um, and, and now we don't know the munition situation exactly. When, when, he, when he bought a million artillery shells from North Korea, does that mean he needs them now or just that he's gonna he wants to make sure he's good in 18 months? You know, we don't really know. And, it, and it's, it's possible that uh, the munitions uh, could be a problem. Um, but you can certainly imagine a scenario. You know, Ukraine has taken a lot of casualties. We've got no honest numbers about this. And you can imagine a scenario where a big manpower advantage on Russia's part uh, starts to make a difference and they move, uh, and they move westward and... Uh, that would not shock me. The other interesting thing about well, the other interesting thing about Putin's speech is he gave two speeches, I believe. The first one where he didn't rattle the saber, and the second one where he did and called for the called for the conscription. He focuses on the Donbass, uh, right. which uh, which is a heartening thing because he's you know I am I you know that's a potential off-ramp, the thing that Ann Applebaum hates. If he makes some gains in the Donbass, he could call it a day uh, and claim victory. Uh, so it's it, it just not clear to me that this, that the whole speech sort of trended in a terrible direction. It's, it's uh, trending. Well, is that, it's not a terrible direction if, if he stops the Ukrainian offensive, if, if what you want is a negotiated solution, right? Well, I, I don't see any signs that I mean, first of all, it suggests that he does want to go ahead and secure all of Donetsk and Luhansk. And right. he's a long way from doing that in Donetsk, okay? okay so that so. itself suggests a lot more war 
and him creating a situation that in itself Ukraine seems unwilling to accept, right? His, his complete possession, you know, uh, of those two provinces. What's more, they, right now, Russia has a lot more than that. They've got the, the, the southeast as well as the east. And although you're right, he does keep saying, and, and I agree it's important, our main, uh, you know, our aim is the Donbass, the, the meaning those two provinces. The fact is, he also said, you know, first of all, there have been these, like, not coincidentally, I think, the, the Russian-appointed leaders of four provinces, not just those two, have suddenly announced they're about to have referenda on joining Russia, right? And, and Putin embraced those four referenda. He did not say we will annex all four, but it's, it is suggestive of that. And here's the thing about annexation. Um, if he even annexes two, uh, if, if he even annexes Donetsk and Luhansk, I mean, if you lo look at the nuclear saber rattling, and I, I wouldn't make too much of this, but the fact is, the way he put it was, uh, you know, he was clearly talking about nuclear weapons. He said, I'm not bluffing. We will use them to protect Russia's territorial integrity. Well, if, if he annexes those two provinces, suddenly there's a bunch of Ukrainian soldiers already violating in his view russia's territorial integrity so is that problem there's also well, what does that mean so he's going to nuke them i don't i'm not saying he would but no i don't think he will right away i don't i don't think he'll think he can get away with that it's just something something to keep in mind that that annexation i mean if the wind blows the wrong way he blows a lot of radiation into russia that's not a good thing no well these are these would be tactical nukes but you're right there's that but the other thing is once this territory is officially defined as Russia by Russia, that gives the nationalists who, who have been agitating for this kind of thing, um, you know, a, a talking point, a big talking point, you know. And, and 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 look, that is the political force. If he's responsive to any political force in Russia right now, well, why is what this? Well, let me just finish. What this what this speech tells us, and what he's doing tells us is it's them. It's the nationalists. Right. We've talk, we, we talked about this, but why is that such a bad thing? If he appeases the nationalists, that's that's good. That makes it easier for him to 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 negotiate if the nationalists are on board. I mean, I mean, it makes it more unyielding. Their demands. You're right. It gives him a credible, uh, credible. You know, he, he can point to the nationalists and say, look, I'd love to help you. Uh Mr. Zelensky, but my hands are tied. He can say that. On the other hand, what the nationalists are going to be demanding is something pretty maximalist. But he's throwing them a bone. They're happy. They're chewing their bone. Uh, they don't. They, sound, won't, they won't demand more. They don't sound pacified to me. But but uh, and uh, the other thing, by the way, is uh, well, a, a, may, a maybe minor thing is once uh, he defines any province in Ukraine as Russian territory officially, then all the guys in the Russian army who are conscripts, they're already in the military. It's just that he hasn't been able to send them to Ukraine. He can then send them to those parts of Ukraine without changing anything else. That's an, another, and, and they're trained. You know, they're somewhat trained. He couldn't before? He, no, they're, no, they couldn't. He could not send conscripts to Ukraine uh, to foreign territory without declaring it a war, apparently. Which he hadn't done. The, still, the Russians, done. the Russians are such sticklers for the law. Uh, you know, in some respects, as, as I've said before, some of these autocracies actually actually are in, in certain respects. I mean, there there are rules they feel they need to 
comply with. Um, but let me just say that the most concerning thing, you know, is that I was right, you know. In other words, uh, I've been saying, like, you know, to the Ann Applebaums of the world, look, I would love as much as you would to roll back the Russian aggression as far as we can. Um, all the way even, before February 24th even, you know, further than that, all the way to the Russian border, great. Uh, because then there would be no positive reinforcement uh, for this invasion. But, you know, realistically, he, you get anywhere near that goal and Putin starts considering it an existential threat to his regime. And I think what, what Putin's speech and what he's done says is, in fact, I think his last line of the speech was, if you translate it, a lot of people miss this. The last line was, Bob was right. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I, I think it basically amounts to the fact that uh, we are faced with a very, we're in this predicament that, that almost nobody in the blob talks about, which is that the more progress we make on the battlefield, uh, the more dangerous the situation since becomes, becomes because the more he's going to be willing to resort to to stop it, mobilization, yeah, it, civilian the, infrastructure, the, nukes, and so on. The real danger that I thought the the the, the consideration of Applebaum revealed is is not so much that he would use nukes, but that his regime would in fact collapse and and re be replaced a by something worse. B Russia might fracture, so we have like you know you know thirty different republics, some of them with nukes, some of them without loose nukes. Uh, who knows what whose hands they go into. Uh, you know, it, it's just a, a, you know, it could always get worse. And, and uh, you know, Putin uh, it, it at least uh, prevents the loose nukes from running around. And, and uh, you know, so the, the problem isn't that he'll stop victory with nuclear weapons. The problem is that Ukraine might actually win. And the consequences of that for his regime are not necessarily good for us. Well, how do you define winning? What would that be? Well, if he, if he, if, 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 uh, suppose that they win a victory on the battlefield, they drive the Russians from, uh, from the Donbass. And, and entirely, uh, entirely, including the part of the Donbass that's no, separatist. It's the status quo, the status, so, status so quo. So they drive there. them back to the February 24 lines. Okay. Yeah. What I'm saying is that what I've been saying, I think, was corroborated by Putin's speech, which is that a long time before you get to that victory, He's going to start behaving in very extreme ways. It, right. it may it may be completely wiping out Ukrainian civilian infrastructure, leaving the country with almost no power. I, I I don't know. It could conceivably be tactical nukes. It could be mass, mass, mass mobilization. And you've got like 3 million Russian troops in Ukraine, uh, in which case the, the, the Ukrainians are overwhelmed. Or it could be that that he does lose power. That could be the case too. I'm just saying... There is no graceful transition to Ukraine having taken all of the uh, territory, uh, all uh, except for the pre pre February twenty fourth territory. Okay, well, I've been well, saying that's crazy. It's crazy. That's a better way of putting it. That, that, that either either the uh, either he will do something very rash that we don't like, or he will fall from power, which we may also not like. We may there, not. There's it, no. There's, there, it, it, it is the uh, of the potential outcomes, the outcome which we would want, which is he returns chastened uh, to to uh, to the Kremlin and uh, 
and nothing particularly changes in the Russian government. And but he's withdrawn from Ukraine. And Ukraine's a free country. That's that's probably what a one percent possibility. I don't know, but it's, that, it's, it, 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 it's there's no way he doesn't uh, resort to uh, extreme and very destructive measures in, in the course of what what Ann Applebaum would define as Ukrainian victory. And uh, I, I mean, also just just do a little like game theory here and put yourself in Biden's shoes. You know, Biden's got a real stake in this. I mean, this is from Biden's point of view, this is like him versus Putin, and he he sees that as having political consequence in America, which he's probably exaggerating, but it does have some. And if Putin does start winning on the battlefield, really pushing the Ukrainians back, which I maintain is is conceivable come spring, come spring. I, I think that could really happen, could happen before. But uh, and by the way, look, anything could happen. It's war. Who knows? But I, I think it's certainly conceivable that that could happen. Well, what is Biden going to do? He's probably going to start providing Ukrainian with well, Ukraine with even more sophisticated weapons. He's the, he's the guy who pulled out of Afghanistan. He, he's uh, capable of tucking tail and uh, and not being macho about it. So there's at least uh, that hope. This is a different and, situation. Uh, that was a long-standing stalemate. He didn't think you'd get, you'd have the fiasco upon withdrawal that you had. This would be Biden. You lost. And at least that's the way the blob and the people on MSNBC would treat it. And, and, and that's what he cares about. But he wouldn't have lost. The Ukrainians would have lost. Well, in terms of American politics, he, he would see it. I, I, you think he's going to be running for re-election or the Democrats are going to be, do you think they want to run on a war platform? We I went to that, war in Ukraine. I, uh, think, I think, well, first of all, I think they're not thinking clearly. And they, and they think like Ann Applebaum, that there's some graceful victory scenario, and there's not. And, and, and I think they would much rather uh, have the graceful victory scenario or where we held the line and then there were peace negotiations uh, than the, we lost, we lost Ukraine scenario. I, th I think they consider that politically a very bad thing. And, but, but let me just play it out a little. I mean, there's a lot of weapons that Biden hasn't given them. The, the long-range smart missiles, the most advanced battle tanks, advanced fighter jets. And, you know, it's pretty clear that one of the things uh, Putin is rattling the nuclear saber about, first of all, is more American provision of sophisticated weapons. He's really trying to warn about that in very dark terms. Even Friedman, Friedman agrees that that's a big part of it. That that's what he's talking about, Putin is? Friedman thinks it's, 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 it's largely directed at stopping that, yeah. I agree. But the, but the incentive for Biden, if Putin starts really winning, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Biden to amp up the weapons. It becomes a bigger, and all of these weapons make it easier for Ukraine to take the fight into Russian territory. The chances of escalation regionally grow, leave aside nuclear weapons. Um, I, well, no, I, yeah. Glenn Greenwald came up with a very good quote from Obama from uh, a few years ago, uh, yeah. where he said, look, uh, you know, the people who were advocating us to send aid from Ukraine should admit that we are willing to go to war for the Donbass. We're not. Uh, you know, and so why won't Obama call him up and lean on him and say, Joe, you don't want to do this? I don't think Obama has any leverage, and I don't know if that's still Obama's view. And I, I think Obama would acknowledge that, look, you're in this situation now. I wouldn't have sent them the weapons that we that we started sending them in the Trump administration. 
He chose not, but Obama chose not to. And that may may have been uh, what, what, well, I think it d- definitely did make the invasion more likely. Putin talked about it a lot. Um, and, uh, but, but, but I don't know. Obama doesn't have any leverage with Joe. And if he does, I advise him to use it to convince Joe not to run again. Um, well, that seems to be happening anyway. Nancy Pelosi, they asked Nancy Pelosi if, if about Joe running again. She said, Joe prefer, performed a very valuable service. He beat Trump. The rest, I don't know what happens. I mean, every people are sending, I mean, even Biden is sending hints he's not going to run again. It's It's 90% obvious he's not going to run again. Mm. Uh, uh, so. I don't think I don't, I don't agree that he's going to bow out gracefully. Let me let me say not, one more. It's not President Newsom's fight. He'll be willing to to uh, to pull back. One quick more one more quick Ukraine point before we move to uh, no Ukraine is uh, it topic is a. topic one. I I just want to say like I I think what bothers me is the dynamic we're seeing. Now, with the mobilization and the more extreme, you know, this was all envisionable. Like either Russia, you know, back before the war, when uh, we chose not to even discuss the issue of NATO with Russia, which means we weren't willing to seriously negotiate. And that's been well established now by a top top ranking State Department official who said as much and said it proudly, by the way. Um, This was all the basic dynamic we're talking about was kind of in the cards. Either Russia is going to just seize Ukraine, get what it wants quickly, or to the extent that that Ukraine can successfully resist, you're going to wind up with the dynamic we've got, which is that there's, there's no such thing as graceful, you know, I mean, even graceful in in the normal military sense with lots of carnage, Ukrainian victory. Well, what about an ungraceful, uh, what about a messy negotiated, we, we haven't discussed that. Why isn't that a lively possibility? A messy well, negotiate, well, negotiated look, uh, uh, cessation of hostilities. You know, Anatole I mean, even has a piece in Responsible Statecraft advocating that. I, I talk about it a little in today's non-zero newsletter. The, uh, but even he admits, A, at this point, diplomacy is a long shot. B, I don't think it's going to get started. The, uh, you know, yesterday, Blinken said before the State Department, uh, basically, you know, he said, you know, we're not going to coerce Ukraine into a diplomacy that would uh, reward uh, Russia for for violating the UN Charter by invading Ukraine. Well, but that's what you say. That's what you say in public before you coerce them in private. Maybe. But I will say this. Before the war. You would not, if you had cut a deal, that would have been politically painful for Biden. I know, you know, because the the, the MSNBC hawks would, would would really would look at them askance at cocktail parties. It'd be a very painful few weeks for Tony Blinken. But the fact is, if they had tried to cut a deal and been able to, that would not have rewarded Russia for violating the UN Charter. It would have rewarded them for massing troops at the border. That's regrettable in itself. But but they didn't even yeah. try. They didn't even try. Um. I, I can't, didn't try. There would not have been that much blowback. Well, I and think that, they think there would be. And, the, and look, Ameri- there would be a lot. The American public w- wouldn't give a shit, and half the half the Republican Party is dovish anyway. Um, the, the Democrats are not going to vote for Biden because you sold out Ukraine on NATO. We don't, you know, we love your health care right. plans and your clean energy plans, but that that Ukraine deal you cut, that we're going to stay home. That's crazy. 
No, I, I agree that, that one, the one of the one of the things Trump demonstrated that I approve of is that Americans don't care that much about foreign policy unless a lot of Americans are coming home dead. And but I do think people like Tony Blinken care deeply what the my, Michael McFalls of the world think of them. And, and I think that I think they're tuned into the MSNBC. I think, I think he, he must be a bit of a true believer. Well, I also think Blinken has neocon tendencies. Yes, I, 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 th I think that's part of the problem. Uh, um, anyways, do they care what Ann Applebaum thinks of them? Yeah, I think I think I think they care. I think they care. I think I think they do too. I think they're, Ann Applebaum is one of the people at the cocktail parties. Yeah, they so, care what so, the Atlantic says about them, and the Atlantic, of course, is being edited uh, by somebody who's uh, gravely misleading journalism. I was, get us into the Iraq War. I was going to my my initial response to Applebaum was was going to be. That's like saying that Jeffrey Goldberg had no influence on the Iraq war, but I thought he did. Don't don't play the Iraq card yet. No. I'm he holding did. it in reserve, Bob. It's a um, kind of strategic thinker I am. Uh so final well, final thing is like I don't know what's gonna happen with the domestic politics in Russia. That's a fascinating question. And we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, again, if he can keep the the establishment on his side, he can probably tamp down anything that's likely to happen, but He's this is uncharted terrain for him. And and, and it's a gamble. The chance of it ending up with Navalny in power seems slim. Yes. And the chance and, and as somebody put out, even if Navalny was in power, it would be a tough negotiation with him, too. Now, you know, <laughs> Navalny said, I don't know what his current position is, he said approving things about the seizure of Crimea. You know, he's something of a nationalist. He's been romanticized and he's very laudable, admirable, and incredibly courageous guy. But it, it, still, the way American liberals think of him is, is, is related to the way they just assume that if Putin is pushed aside, everything will be wonderful. Right. And they it think could he, be even worse. They think he's hovel. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, I don't mean that Navalny would be worse than Putin. He'd be better. But, but what right. replaced Putin could be worse. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I, it just seems to me that this leaves us not in that much of a different place than we were. Well, in the next week. few months, I agree. I, I think the main difference is that Ukraine is somewhat more likely to make, you know, overwhelming breakthroughs on the battlefield. It's still a chance. They're making progress uh, in the vicinity of, uh, what is it, Leeson, those two cities in Luhansk that Russia worked hard to take. You know, the Ukraine is getting closer to that. But it, if there are going to be negotiations, it's 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 going to be after the winter, right? I mean, well, actually, one every, thing Anna, everybody, everybody's waiting to see what happens over the winter. One thing wrong? Anatole even said in this piece in responsible statecraft is, if if Putin annexes these provinces, especially all four, it's over for for meaningful negotiations. For uh, the point is. Putin is not going to negotiate away what he's defined as actual chunks of right, Russia. Right, but the negotiation would be you keep the four provinces and you stop there. That's a negotiation. <laughs> yeah, well. And the Ukrainians, the Ukrainians are faced with the reality that they're not going to achieve their aims. Well, this is, I mean, the thing that could lead the Ukrainians to do that is just ongoing massive loss of Ukrainian lives and and more and more suffering. And that's why I would encourage them to stop and take stock right now. They're not in a terrible place, okay? I mean, 
if they could negotiate, they could probably get Putin to. It would be tough politically. I I, have, I know nothing about the if, politics if, here, Putin, if Putin stops at the Donbass, takes takes all four provinces. I don't know what the other two are. That presumably they're not in the Donbass, right? Right, they're to the south. Um, Kherson and, and, and yeah, uh, that's a big one, I guess. Uh, but um, it is, and, and he doesn't pursue anymore. And the Ukraine says, "No, we want to keep fighting." Is the U.S. going to say, "Sure, keep fighting. We'll keep sending you weapons"? I don't think so. Well, there's, I think if there's no threat to Kiev, no threat to the sovereignty of whatever rump of Ukraine remains, uh, which is a pretty big rump. Uh, no, I, I, can't, I, don't, I, I can't believe people will support that. I don't know exactly. Uh, you know, right now, people would think that Ukraine has won itself a reprieve with this recent battlefield success. I mean, in terms of ongoing Western support and the willingness of Europe to endure the winter with energy problems, and that's another wild card. Every, everybody thinks Europe has, has, is going to make it to the winner, that they've succeeded in, in taking whatever measures are necessary to wean themselves off of Russian dependence, and that threat is vastly diminished. Yeah. Okay, the, well, the, the latest CW is that they're, they've, they've done it. That's good. But I would just say, you know, if Ukraine... I mean, the truth is, a lot of people in Western Ukraine... They don't honestly, I don't think they honestly care that much about large parts of Eastern Ukraine. It, it's been a divided country. Right. And and uh, on the other hand, Russia invaded their country and that kind of gets, gets your back up. Yeah. You know, this is very natural dynamic. But if you look at where they are, if they could negotiate like Russia pulling the troops in Kherson back across the river, that means Ukraine would still have a lot of access to the ocean, which in principle, Russia could still deprive them of. Only today, Russia sent, uh, and this is an example of escalation. They sent these kamikaze drones over Odessa, okay? They've still, Putin's still got Odessa in his, you know, in right. his sights. I would well, stop yeah, and yeah. reflect if I were, if I were in charge okay. of Ukraine. Um, there, what, about, I... what about Martha's Vineyard, Bob? Uh, I'm joking, but uh, it seems like a small thing in comparison. Uh, well, it doesn't. I mean, it, it, it's. Uh, I mean, I don't have any new thoughts. I don't. I don't like the sight of these people being used as props. I assume no, this is working well politically. Although for, the other, the other argument that the Democrats are now making is it was so good for these immigrants that it's encouraging more immigrants to come to the border from Latin America because now. They think they're going to get a plane ride to Boston and Martha's Vineyard in New York City. Uh, you can't have it both ways. Either it was like a horribly oppressive thing. I mean, it, it was still using them as, a bit as pawns. I think that happens all the time in politics. But, and it was overwhelmed by the, the fact that it put immigration back on the map. It was successful. Immigration yeah. is now an issue. NPR did a big story on immigration now. The, 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 the establishment has had to has dropped strategy one, which is ignore the problem, and they're going to strategy two, which is find ways to deflect about it. Oh, these people are, they're fleeing communism. You're not against people fleeing communism, are you? Uh, that's that's sort of the deflection number one. Or, oh, it's like Trump's fault, or, oh, it's uh, it's Abbott's fault because he's busting them to places they want to go. I mean, Daryl Lynn's analysis was actually pretty sober. She's a... a uh, She's not on my side of the immigration debate. But she says, look, if it got them closer to where they wanted to go, it helped them. You know, if they want, you know, they picked it up, they showed them a map, they showed them where they were going to go. If they got, they, they voluntarily went there. If it got them closer to someplace they're happy to be, 
it was not a bad thing for them. And they got a couple of good nights sleep on Martha's Vineyard. We could Which all use that. Nice this time of year. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. It is my, my question is, uh, I mean, again, I don't, I don't approve, but my question is, is it working for DeSantis politically? I assume it is within the Republican Party. I assume it makes him a more formidable rival to Trump. Um, right. And, that, and that, that's my big point. Instead of, if you really thought Trump was a horrible existential threat to democracy itself, which there is an argument to that effect, uh, you should appreciate DeSantis. DeSantis is the most obvious, the last best hope to stop Trump is DeSantis. Well, and, no, the and, last and, best hope is to beat him in the general election and have a, have a Democrat in the White House. That's a pretty big risk, though. It's much it's better risk. to take him out in the primary. And, uh, and there are all sorts of polls well, showing it's a very close thing whether Trump beats, beats whoever the Democratic well, nominee is. So, who it is. I mean, they don't know. Well, he soundly beats Kamala and he sort of ties Biden. But um, the uh, you should anyway. Can DeSantis I just stop is, and DeSantis say is not the threat Trump is. The, the anti-Trumpers should be for DeSantis. They should not be bashing DeSantis. That's okay. my point. And it's uh, very I, revealing and troublesome that they do instead they bash DeSantis. It shows they're in the bashing authoritarian business, and they will never stop. They need an enemy because their income depends on. It. First of all, let me say that. A randomly selected Democrat, not just politician, a randomly selected Democrat, like just pick him out of the phone book, would probably have a better chance of beating Trump than Kamala or Biden. So the fact that the fact that now I I grant you they both have a non-trivial chance of being the candidate. So it is worrying that 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 Trump could beat them. But it's not hard to pick a Democrat who who would who would be favored right now, at least pretty heavily against Trump. Well, yeah, um, but what, well, if it's like Gavin Newsom, what's the voters going to look at him? Trump will win. He wouldn't That's be my choice. Okay. Again, Chris Murphy, remember we heard it first, folks. He's the Trump killer. He can bring America together. Um, but but the uh on the on the on the DeSantis thing, I I I I have some sympathy for finding him abhorrent, you know, because the fear is uh, you know, there is a scenario where he's the worst of all worlds if if you're an anti-Trumpist, because he fuses the actual ideological part of Trumpism, which if you're an anti-Trumpism, Trumpist, you oppose. I know you don't, but he fuses no, that. But that's, but that's not the argument. Yeah. The, the, the ideological part of Trumpism is not an existential threat to America. Okay, but I'm not what done. supposedly they fear is the existential threat to America. Okay. Well, okay, but he fuses that. Well, well he, he fuses that with another creepy part of, uh, of Trump, which is authoritarian tendencies. Now, this is more conjectural. People will say, wait a second, he was also in the army. He served as a, you know, a, a judge adjutant general or whatever they call him. And his job was to make sure that the rules were obeyed and he seems to have done his job or something. I don't know. Temperamentally, he he is authoritarian. You know, he's a bully. He he's he's right, but, uh and, and worst of all, he's much more competent and capable than Trump. So but, a, but it, yeah. we've had bullies elected to office before. They're not a, necessarily an existential threat. They the the, the key the litmus test is. Do you think if he lost the election, he would take Trumpist, Trump-like measures to turn overturn the result of the election with fake electors or or alternate well, you, electors or whatever? And I don't think so. You know what I, I find mean, reassuring? 
is if he said, the fact is Joe Biden did win the election, which any sentient, rational person who really wants to look carefully at the evidence knows. If he said that, I'd, I'd relax a little. But he's not saying that, is he? I don't think he's saying it yet, no. Oh, you think he's going to say it? When's he going to say it? After he gets the nomination, obviously. Uh, I, mean, I mean, look at, look at this guy. I don't guy. think so. Look at this guy that in New Hampshire. Turnout. Look at this guy in New Hampshire. He wants. He cares about turnout. He's a hardcore Trumpist. The first thing he said the day after he won the nomination, practically, is, uh, okay, uh, Biden won the election. I've done more research. He said, I've done more research, and I've decided that Biden won the election. We'll see. And you can't, and you, and, uh, you know, it's like you, you can never be 100% sure that Biden won the election. They were pulling out all the stops. Maybe it's some funny business going on. So you, it, it's sort of ludicrous to demand no, that but they, he, they assert 100%, but, I'm certain, that Biden won the election. But it's I'm not, not 100% certain Biden won the election. No, but it's, it's not hard to say, to just go case by case and say, I know a lot of Trump supporters think that this shenanigans went on at the at State Farm Arena in Atlanta. But the fact is, we have video of the whole thing. It just didn't happen. You're wrong. A responsible politician could say that. You could say that. If, um, if DeSantis doesn't know that, he's definitely not qualified to be president. Um, I don't know that. Do we know that? Oh, totally. Okay. They literally have nonstop video. There was a camera in place. We know exactly what happened in State Farm Arena. Um, and, we, and we know why, if you took a little excerpt of it, it looked like they were doing some funny business. Um, a reporter, I, you know, the, 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 the officials in Georgia took at least one local reporter who, God bless him, had the patience to sit there and watch all fucking 24 hours of it and reported on it. And anyone and who this, wants to can watch it. This box they pulled out from under the table just sort of sat there. Uh, oh, here's what happened. I mean, if people have forgotten, the uh, they decided for some reason they decided they they were closing for the night, okay? And I forget whether there was something unexpected or whatever. So they said, okay, folks, we're going to shut down the counting for the night. Camera's still rolling. All this yeah. is on video, and they have some uh, open boxes of ballots. They put them under the table. And 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 the things you know the things called suitcases or whatever those are just the little trolley things that they that they or dolly things that they use to move these right. big boxes okay and they leave the room they turn out the lights and they get a call that they're in communication with their authorities and one of the authorities says wait a second you left boxes of open ball that's not protocol no no the protocol is before you leave for the night everything that's open is dealt with. Okay, you, you just that violates protocol. Right. Go back there, count them, don't open any more boxes, and then leave. All this is on videotape, and that's all that happened. Okay. Well, DeSantis is perfectly capable of saying something that acknowledges that Biden won while doing the most to not disappoint his base. Uh, that's sort of, that's the test of a skilled politician, and he he's, he, he's capable of doing that. I wouldn't expect him to do it before he goes up against Trump. So uh, the um, but the point is, he is not the threat that Trump is. He is maybe 10% of the threat Trump is. So if you really cared about, uh, about you know, tr the Trump threat, you would you would try to boost uh, DeSantis as opposed to, I've already said this point. That's, it's still my point. 
You haven't convinced me. <laughs> you haven't convinced me that that it's not true. Yeah, so he's a bit of a bully. So, you know, a lot of people are bullies. Yeah, but also, you know, he's inheriting the Trump base and the Trump situation. There are oh. there are militant forces in the Trump base now. And, well, and they are the activists. And, and he doesn't well, want to disappoint them. It's much better. to easiest way to beat Trump is to inherit the Trump base. Not people, Voters are not going to flock to Lynn Cheney. I'm sorry. Uh, the uh, that's not you're not gonna. You take, don't think she's gonna, got the Trump vote take, locked up? You're not gonna take Trump out with a with a frontal assault. Uh, you know, bring back the Bush era. It's just not gonna happen. The um, John Ellis, which I hadn't realized, uh, he said Cheney's strategy is obviously New Hampshire be like Gene McCarthy, run straight on against Trump, and if you score thirty nine percent of the vote, you've cracked the egg. Uh, but she's not going to get 39% of the vote. She's going to get 12% of the vote. So, uh, you know, the idea that, that the frontal assault is going to win seems crazy. And maybe even if it wins in New Hampshire, Pat Buchanan won in New Hampshire. Is this, that doesn't mean you got the nomination. Well, I just think it's it's understandable. And, and you know, I have been uh, preaching a sermon that, that a lot of anti-Trumpers hate uh, in my newsletter very recently, like, like uh, earlier this week a long piece uh, and a couple of weeks ago where I said, it's not smart tactics for Biden to talk as if all MAGA Republicans are uh, a threat to the Republic since all Trump voters are going to assume that he's talking about them. That's, that's my spiel. That said, I certainly understand that uh, if you are uh, an anti-Trumpist and deeply concerned, as I think you should be, that, he uh, did not, you know, tried to impede democracy in the most fundamental sense, which is to derail the actual honest counting of the votes. Um, then you you just are going to naturally have trouble embracing a guy who seems to be refused to say that Trump did anything wrong and seems to be going along with all the bullshit I about, about what happened in the election. I actually don't know what DeSantis has said. There, it's weird. There hasn't been all that much pressure on him the way there is on people like Kerry Lake and people who are actually other people who are running. He's running too. The um, he's running for re-election in Florida. The um, the the weird the there was a poll showing that as we suspected, uh, the Trump anti-MAGA Republican speech backfired, but for a weird reason. First, it it's definitely emboldened. The Trump base. I mean, they're saying this is like deplorables. They hate you. You know, predictable. Don't, don't you want to? Yeah. So that was it had that predictable reaction. And the weird thing is, it did independence, according to this poll, and maybe it's it's bullshit. Uh, they they said, well, their reasoning was, well, Biden was only attacking a fringe element in the Republican Party, so this actually gives us permission to vote for the non-MAGA extremists. He doesn't. They they haven't picked up on the. You know that Biden was saying that Kevin McCarthy is a MAGA extremist. Okay, Biden was trying to tar the whole Republican Party. Apparently, he failed to do that, so he failed to move the independents, uh, you know, in the anti into the anti-Republican camp. So it's a net win-win for Republicans, and you don't see him talking about it that much anymore, do you? Uh, there's a reason why you don't talk about things. It's because the polls show they're disastrous. So, um, oh, good. I hope he's learned his uh, lesson. Uh, uh, I hope I hope he I hope he doesn't come up with a better strategy in the next I, I, I also ninety days. Think, 
I also think just more vaguely, there's a lot of people who are just sick of all this shit and, and are hoping things will die down. Right. And, and he stirred them up. Yeah. Bad moves. Uh, the, um, by the way, are you uh, you excited about the election in Italy? It looks like you may have a, a Trumpist uh, victor, right? I know so little about it. There's so many different Trumpist parties there. Well, one, uh, well, I find it, I, I have a, a hard time keeping it straight. Well, one interesting feature, I mean, these are broadly speaking, you know, it's anti-immigration. It's the closest thing to Trumpism that, that would have won in Italian politics. But the uh, interesting feature is that, you know, the word fascism is thrown around pretty loosely. Trumpists are often accused of it. These guys actually, if you look at the lineage, apparently, although the party, I think, only is is only about 30 years old. Apparently, you you can trace the lin- its lineage to the, uh, the neo-fascists that took shape in Italy right after World War II, who explicitly embraced Mussolini. So, you know, I, right, I don't personally put too to- much emphasis on lineage, but... It's a, it's an interesting feature that if you if you cared about lineage, you wouldn't give money to Planned Parenthood. That's for sure. Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't like. So. That's why I I didn't think you know like Jonah Goldberg's book. You know what is it? Liberal fascism. I thought was uh, maybe interesting, but not that the argument just isn't that consequential. I mean, it may well be that people called progressives were in favor of eugenics, but if progressives today don't embrace eugenics, and in fact, aren't even aware that any progressives ever did. It, it really doesn't matter much. Is that it? his argument? I thought his argument was better than that. But I I'm, sure he, I'm sure he got into that aspect of it. That's a yeah. classic example of an ironic twist in the course of a, a lineage. Of, but I of, thought, I, I would have thought his argument was that liberal remedies tend to corporatism, and they do. Uh, there's one. There was a big one coming down the pike today, which is the plan to protect the media against the Facebook and uh, Google giants by basically uh, organizing the media into a cartel that can bargain for the whole media uh, without violating the antitrust laws. And apparently they argue it's worked in Australia. Well, but maybe it works, but it's corporatist. It's saying, okay, you two big boys, you're the media, you're the eyes and ears of society. Google, you're the, the you know social network of society. You two big aspects of society, duke it out. And if you're a little media person, you might get squeezed out. So it provides the statutory basis for saying, okay, and we're going to give all sorts of special privileges to the people who are in this media cartel. And people like you and me who are just independent operators, freedom of speech doesn't really mean what it means for the big boys. Wait, who would they be negotiating with the media cartel? Google and Facebook. Wait, who is the media cartel? That's a very good question. Is how you define the media cartel, but presumably it is the established media. You mean I, I don't get it? Who's negotiating with whom here? The New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and oh, all the. Oh, oh, all, oh, okay, and I don't okay. know how they could make it a lot more palatable if they opened it up to lone bloggers okay, and okay. people like that. But I don't think we would have a lot of leverage in that coalition anyway. But uh, you know, the 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 and the you know they will they will want to cut a deal that fucks over the little guys. What are they negotiating yeah. over? I don't quite know. It has something to do with uh, uh, reduced leverage from ads. And Matt Stola has a big piece mm-hmm. where he attempts to explain it. I didn't have time to read it. I didn't understand okay. it when I did. Uh, but it's 
it, it, it supposedly it takes away a, a lot of the leverage that Google and Facebook has to basically bankrupt all the media. Now, why do they want to bankrupt the media? Isn't that killing the the thing that's giving them free content? I don't quite know, but um, they want to keep it on life support. I supposedly, think. they tried it in Australia and media flourished. So, that's, okay, that's anyway. It's whether it's good or bad. It is corporatist, and okay. I don't think Jonas says. I don't think Jonas says uh, that liberals are fascist so much as they they are taking giant steps toward the economic model of fascism, which that is. I actually think a lot of his argument was historical, like, you know, Woodrow Wilson's authoritarian yeah. side and all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Well, I should read the book before I talk about it again. But anyway. The, anyway, you're rooting, just to summarize, you are rooting for the fascists in Italy. Can I put that no. on Twitter? Oh, no, sorry. you can't. I don't, I, I don't know enough. Uh, but I'd, I'm certainly rooting for, if there's a restrictionist immigration party I, I, that takes takes up opposition to the EU's so the, the you know the EU's the EU's position on immigration is very similar to the position uh, on Ukraine the, 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 which which is like we know what's best we're gonna teach these uh, these you know racist a lesson uh, and, and and they pursue that even in the face of what looks like them being clobbered in the polls mm -hmm. uh, uh, just a similar, you know, we know it's right for Ukraine to be in NATO, in, in NATO, and we don't care sort of what the reality is. And they're very high-minded and obnoxious about it. And I, I've seen them personally be high-minded and obnoxious. Uh, so uh, it's it's a sort of similar mindset, and they need a large attitude adjustment. So, Mickey, no week is complete without your update of the chances of the Democrats keeping the Senate and the House. Well, I, 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 it's weird. Real Clear Politics gave gave one more seat to the Republicans, so it's forty seven to forty six. It seems to me it's entirely now dependent on Georgia, where I have zero faith in Herschel Walker's ability to beat Warnock. Isn't he ahead After in the polls? He's like 1% ahead in the polls. He, he wisely lowered expectations for the debate by he, saying, I, he literally saying, I'm stupid as shit. Didn't he? Did. what he said? It, I mean, he was one step away from the full, the full lower, which is, let's face it, I'm a moron. He said, I'm but not he, smart, I think. He said, he I'm said, not smart. So was, I'm a poor old country a, boy. A and very I'm smart thing dumbest, to do. A very smart thing to say. Brick. Yeah. A very smart thing to say. And, but, you know, he's tied in the polls. Now, even if you, Assume the polls are wrong, and he's really three or four percent ahead of the polls. That can be wiped out by a bad debate performance. So it, you know, it, yeah, I have no confidence there. And the other one is Pennsylvania, Oz versus Fetterman. Now Fetterman is is sort of reeling in that, uh, he, you know, he, it's pretty clear his his mental state is is bad, and you know, if he doesn't show up for the debate, that'll be very bad. Uh, and if he loses the debate, that'll be very bad. Although. Uh, you know, Oz may overplay his hand, but he also turned out he hadn't paid taxes. They had to sue him to get their taxes in his city. I wish he was the mayor. Uh, seems like he, he, there is there there is some negative stuff they've been saving about him, but it's still a close call. I mean, Oz isn't the greatest candidate in the world, so uh, that that's what that's what uh, the Republicans actually gaining majority in the Senate depends on winning one of those two, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't put high odds on that happening. 
of the Republicans winning either Georgia or Pennsylvania? Yeah. Well, chances it, it, have got to be uh, over fifty percent if you do the math. If you, if you, anyway, it seems to me just looking at the math, that's what it comes down to. The if they lose both, then it's a tied Senate, same status quo as it is today. Uh, um, I mean, if the chances have, if the Democrats have a sixty percent chance in each state, the chances are they'll lose one, right? I don't know. You, you, you yeah, because um, the because then the chances of them winning both are thirty six percent. I leave that to 538. 538 is, is, it seems to me 538 has lost a lot of credibility. Well, first, because they wildly overemphasize these percentage chances of, you know, the Democrats winning, which is, you know, pleases their, their fan base, which tends to tilt to the left, whereas real care politics tilts to the right. But also, you have to really dig to find out what the actual polls are. Then when you get to what the actual polls are in 538, they include this outfit, Center Street, which apparently is a total left organization that doesn't really do polls. They sort of infer the polls from the answers to other questions, and they have no business being part of your average. Yet they include them as part of the average that uh, that, that goes into the calculation of these percentages. Uh, and that, I think, is worse than real clear politics, including Trafalgar, which is also included in 538. And Rasmussen, uh, which maybe not, but uh, those are two Republican-leaning polls that do skew the real clear politics average toward the Republicans. But you know, as even Ed Kilgore admits, Trafalgar has been right. They may be an organ of the Republican Party, but they've been right. Uh, so uh, not always, but most of the time. So I just think that real clear politics is, is while you have to discount it, it's pro Republican. Is is more credible than 538 at this point. Well, you know, I've always uh, thought that the betting markets are actually better than people give them credit for being. And I'm alarmed to just at this moment, Google Betfair and see that uh, chances of a Republican um, majority are deemed to be higher than chances of a Democratic majority. Although the, the chances of a... What Where? Do they mean? In the House or the Senate? This is the Senate. But what do they mean by no majority? There's always somebody, they mean Democratic control? No majority means status quo, yeah. Oh, well, in that case, then the cha- then they're betting that the Democrats will retain de facto right. effective right. control. Okay, good. Right. Ooh, that was close. Um, uh, the one thing that Biden has done, which is like nobody has called him on, uh, is, is that has been effective, is releasing the oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve which clearly seems to have had an effect in lowering oil prices. And he totally got away with it. So every president from now on faced with the rise of oil prices is going to dip into the strategic petroleum reserve. I don't know it's such a bad idea. There's still a lot of oil there and, uh, you know, we can refill it pretty quickly. So I would think this is a pretty defensible use. I mean, if you if you accept the premises Biden would lay out, you know, there's a, there's a war of tremendous principle going on, and and that's the reason that we face this problem, and so on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. I just think it's now that's it's going to be. I mean, it's politically convenient yeah. for sure, and politically motivated, but yeah, it's one step away from him being able to uh, manipulate the Fed rates, which he can't do. So it's the next best thing. Um, we haven't talked about. Uh, we better hurry. What uh, is it? Well, Biden keeps saying he's going to defend Taiwan, and oh, God. And, and, and I, I, you know, it seems 
tell me why I'm wrong. It's why isn't that a defensible thing to say? He said, he's not saying we don't have a one China policy. We think Taiwan and China will eventually be part of the same country. They are part of the same country. We just think it should happen peacefully. And if China tries to do it by force, we are going to defend Taiwan. Uh, the answer, which actually can be found in today's non-zero newsletter, um, where we we summarize a piece by Stephen Worth. And the, the answer that's uh, given is that if you reserve the right to, uh, if you say we, you know, the idea of strategic ambiguity, the traditional U.S. position of saying we're certainly not ruling out coming to Taiwan's aid militarily, but we're not guaranteeing it. The idea is that you're supposed to pre present some deterrent to China without emboldening Taiwan in a way that could get them to be uh, more provocative toward China than you'd like them to be. That's, that's well, but the clearly, clearly, Biden has assessed the situation and decided a little more deterrence is in order because China is being more aggressive. And the risk of emboldening Taiwan to do crazy things, that's sort of a yesterday's problem. They're, they're, they're about to get clobbered. They're not, there's little danger that they're going to be emboldened to taunt China more. Uh, when, well, it's not not just taunting; it's things like declaring independence. You know, I mean, which well, but uh, defending to, defending them gives them leverage to tell them don't declare independence. And are they more are they closer well, to declaring independence now than they were a year well, ago? Don't, I don't they think they so. They don't have to take orders from us. I mean, they can declare independence if they want. And and if and and if and if they think that America has has said so clearly that they will come to their aid, that oh. they really are compelled to, then they're going to be more inclined to, you know, and it's, it's, well, it's, it's, like, than that. it's like Ukraine. We can lean on them. Are we leaning no, they, on them? What did we do? Where did we, no, lean we on can them? lean on them. We can lean on them. We have, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with Taiwan. Um, you know, Ukraine is actually uh, a not crazy example. I mean, the, uh, I don't even know exactly what the truth is here, but, there was an ongoing kind of war before this one started in the sense that, uh, you know, the borders between the separatist part and the rest of Ukraine were, uh, um, you know, they were active. There was, there were, there was battle. And some people say Ukraine was uh, being, you know, very, very assertive militarily and shelling cities and so on. And I don't know the answer. I, I don't know. But just but hypothetically, my, you can imagine all the weapons we were sending them and the moral support we were giving them having emboldened them to do my, that. Some people say that, that, that this activity on Ukraine's part figured in Putin's decision. I don't know. My, but. my point is, is if, we, if we, we, can, we can lean on each one, if we, if we give them arms, that gives us more leverage because we can, the implicit threat is we'll withdraw the arms or the defense. If we lean on Ukraine, we will know almost immediately because the Ukraine lobby is very wired and has access to the press. With China, we, if we're leaning on Taiwan, we, we might be able to get away with it, doing it secretly. Uh, it seems to me, even though there's a big Taiwan lobby, obviously, but it's just not yeah, the there same. Is. It's just not the same, I don't think. In terms oh, of I think it's big. I think the Taiwan lobby is pretty powerful. A Taiwan lobby that wants to declare independence? If we say well, they look, certainly want they certainly want weapons, and they don't want the weapons conditional on anything. They want weapons yeah. to flow. Yeah. I think I I have a vague sense it's probably whether Taiwan has moved away from declaring independence a little. Yeah, recently. we'll see. I, I don't know. I uh, mean, anyway, the other thing I'd say is just war. Well, you know, we're talking about war with a nuclear power. You know, and and in in a, in a 
part of the world where in the long run, I would maintain that the odds don't look that great for us prevailing in the long, long all run. Of, all of NATO is talking about war with the nuclear power. That wouldn't mean when yeah, you, when one you is not enough. When you give assurances that you, you say you're willing to, you know, that's the deterrent threat is you're willing to have a nuclear war. No, but in this case, the assurance is we will personally get involved in the war. Us, the U.S., the nuclear no. power will get involved in the war with China. Is that, what it meant? is that what it means when he says we will defend Taiwan? Of course. And we will get involved? Of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never mind as, as whatever. And isn't it possible the war would play out without them nuclear aircraft carriers? They would if necessary, but maybe. But well, you don't need to nuke aircraft carriers. Conventional it'd be, arms will it'd take be them. It'd be like it'd be like Ukraine too. We would have a non-nuclear war with with them threatening to go nuclear if they lose. Uh, yeah, I mean, even people like Mearsheimer. You know, Mearsheimer ironically is kind of a China hawk, not a, not a Ukraine hawk. There's some there's some reason having to do with with hardcore realist theory, but. Even he says, yeah, there's a chance that uh, that China would go nuclear, uh, but he still advocates a very, I forget the details, but a very forceful position on Taiwan. Uh, so you think Biden shouldn't have said what he said? I think he shouldn't have said what he said. I think we should not go to war to defend Taiwan. It, you know, it's kind of ironic. Biden said, we will not put our troops at risk. We will not go to war to uh, defend Ukraine, a sovereign nation, against invasion. However, we will go to war and put our put our people at risk. And he explicitly said in this interview, I think, yeah, we'll send men and women over there to die. Basically, um, he didn't put it like that, but he 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 kind of said that. And in the case of Taiwan, which we don't recognize as a sovereign nation, which almost nobody recognizes as one, and which in fact historically was part of China, that that's kind of ironic. There's such a stickler for legality, just like Putin. <laughs> I know we have so much in common. Um, um, <laughs> so, um, so we we've been we've been doing this an hour, Mickey. At least I, yeah, I'm not have, keeping track. What okay. what is your does your quick time file? I, have I, I don't want to touch. I don't want to touch anything because um, you don't have to touch I'm, it. You can just look at it. I can't look at it. It says I can. It's it's covered up there. I uh, let's assume we've we've done it. We, we're now at the stage where we're talking about what we're going to say in the parrot room. Let's do assume that. Uh, uh, God, I've talked about a lot of things. Uh, the Republicans are unveiling their platform, their contract for America, finally today. Okay, a little late, but um, I will read it in in the interim and have things to say about it. Okay, uh, particularly it's looking for weakness in its immigration position, um, which there probably will be. Uh, uh, there's a, the National Conservative Conference finished up in Miami, and there's a piece by Josh Hammer on what national conservatism means, and there's a statement of principles they issued uh, on what national conservatism means. It turns out it's not, does not mean nothing. So. Uh, I want to talk about that. There's one, one thing that seems very important to them that just sticks in my craw. Uh, there's uh, uh, Mark Benioff, who is the head of Salesforce, mm -hmm. threatening to withdraw businesses from states that aren't uh, woke enough for him or that, sorry, that uh, trample on gender rights. Um, uh, that's a... Uh, that's four, isn't it? Oh, and the fifth is, or the fourth is, Larry Summers interviewed 
uh, Nick Eberstadt on why men are dropping out of the labor force, why they don't go to work, why, why compared with other countries, we have a lower percentage of young males of prime working age who are out of the labor force. And he said, you know, we this is this should be a, a major topic of academic uh, discussion for which he got a lot of ridicule saying, Larry, it is a major topic of academic discussion and popular discussion. And maybe you shouldn't have stood by while we had the China shock, which caused a lot of this. But when you actually think about what's causing it, I managed to get myself all confused. Which is always a good thing, and that's what—that's what—that's uh, the treat that lies in store for people who tune into the pair room. Correct. Witnessing Correct. confusion. Good. I'm uh, on board. I'll uh, do my part. Okay. Um, so that, now, those are my topics. Now, don't forget, Mickey. I assume you finished uh, watching the movie Breathless. Oh, I did. Yes, but I haven't now, read. I haven't read the commentary on it. Oh, you don't have to read the comment. But but uh, anyway, I've read up a little bit. On, anyway, Jean Luc Godard, the uh, Allegedly great French director. I'm going to raise some questions about uh, whether the allegations are true. Um, you know, died a couple of weeks ago. We vowed to uh, pay homage to him by watching the, his breakthrough movie, Breathless. We have now done so. We will have a review of, we will, you know, I, I actually have some things to say. It's actually, it's actually interesting. Um, Did you read? Did you read yeah. that guy Brody? Is that the guy you read? I did read that. It's a short piece. It wouldn't take you long oh. to read that. Yeah, I'm um, try Richard to read Brody's that. piece about him in New Yorker. He he wrote a biography about Godard. Um, so there's that. Uh, what else? The I I want to do a little uh, fine grained analysis of the famous uh, Trump video in which he said, uh, "If you're president, you can declassify documents by just thinking about it," uh, and that's enough. <laughs> if you have the thought, you're not declassify. <laughs> You don't have to walk around it four times and say, I declassify no, you. Not even, not oh, even. Okay. You think about it. But, but there's a second part of the tape that I think is more interesting and a sign that maybe uh, some of the things I've been saying about the Biden's cognitive condition are starting to apply to Trump. Um, I want to talk about uh, AI. There's all, yeah. There's also this New York lawsuit, if you, which we might touch on. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I want to, yeah, I, I I actually learned a little bit about that. I want to talk about AI uh, and, you know, does it, will it, will our robot overlords uh, stick us in gooey cocoons like in the Matrix or whatever else they may do? But, but more than that, I want to talk about whether uh, AI has cognitive empathy. Uh, I've thought about this. It's, it's, I have heavy thoughts. Um, I don't know. I, I can't really think of anything else. There's some good comments by the commenters that we'll address. Oh, you know, the aforementioned Nikita, who uh, at this moment is in Russia, um, where he, he went back to Russia. He left, uh, went to Armenia after the invasion, went back to Russia to get married. He, he, he remains there for the time at, at this moment, at least. Anyway, if you want to see some of Nikita's great art, you could go to the Parrot Room at patreon.com slash Parrot Room uh, because he, he did the uh, the illustration there of Bob and Mickey. Or you could you could take the cheap way out and look at the, at the end of this, I think there is the Parrot Room uh, neon sign effect, which he also did. Why doesn't he get the fuck out of there? That, that's, that's in the cards, I think, yeah. 
I, I think. Oh, okay. Details in the parrot run. Well, okay. <laughs> no, we don't okay. need the details. No, I want to maximally exploit his misfortune, Mickey. I think he would applaud that. He's a very practical <laughs> guy. He helped no. create the parrot room, remember? He he launched us. He got us off the ground. Remember so, that? Yes. He's yeah, a great okay. guy. So so he has a better solution than this. Yeah, he doesn't plan to break his arm. There's, a, there's okay. another way. He's a man of peace, and there's another path, which okay. we're talking about in the parrot room. Okay. So we'll okay. Hey. You and the parrot. Speaking of the parrot. Namaste. As a Buddhist parrot, yes. Okay. We'll see you there.